0: Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week, we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. Hello, this is Brad Zockel, and once again, we're talking about heaven. And as we are talking about heaven, I'm continuing in this series as we walk through the book of Revelation verse by verse. And as I go there, I'm actually going to take you back to a cross-reference in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12. But we're looking at Revelation chapter 3 and we're going into verse 7 and we're going to continue on in verse uh, uh, 7 all the way through verse 13. And this is the Church of Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but Philadelphia within the seven churches of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. The messengers are handing out the letters that have been dictated by God himself to these churches. This is the time of the writing. See Revelation finished and was closed and completed in about 92-93 A.D., and these churches were in existence at that time, and each one has a message. Two of them are highly commended. Five of them receive some stern, stern warnings and even some embarrassing admonishments uh, in there. We're seeing it all at that time. And we can apply these things to ourselves. Now, we just went through Sardis, and Sardis said it wasn't a great uh, story in there. So we're looking at eternal things and the future and the kingdom and heaven, and that's what a church should be showing. And displaying to the people of community I'm gonna ask you something you know does your church teach about heaven does your church teach about God's rewards and God the Father's glory and his faithfulness and the fact that we will see him face to face one day I wonder and many churches didn't they got involved in the horizon that was uh, here let's say the horizontal look of the horizon rather than the vertical look above the horizon And they got involved. They got busy. We saw that a number of places. And we got to Sardis in the beginning of chapter 3. And, oh, they really thought they were something else. And the Lord embarrassingly exposes them. You are like dead. It just looks like there's a little bit of life uh, uh, moving about in you. And I'm going to talk with the small parts that have any sort of life within them. Very downhearted. You can take a look. And I spent two podcasts talking about Sardis, and may that be an admonishment to us as individuals, as well as assemblies. We get this reputation, or we're the big guys in town, or we're the active ones, or everybody should look at us. Well, I think everybody should be looking at Christ. And, you know, not worrying about how wonderful your letterhead logo is, and how many times you advertise yourself, or how uh, uh, smart and crisp the service is. But are we grasping Jesus Christ? Now we go to this little church, Philadelphia, and I'm going to give you the Second Corinthians eight twelve principle. You see, many that are listening to my podcast right now, these podcasts, you're like me. You know, I don't have much going for me. You can't sit there and look at me or see what I do and say, oh, look how talented he is. And I, I look at people who have wonderful gifts, ability, musical ability, or in other words, writing ability, or math and accounting and leadership abilities. And I can only shake my head in wonder and just admire them, but it's just not something that I see. I, I don't see anything. But what I do know is what God gives me, I need to be faithful. That's in First Corinthians chapter four. It says a servant going to be faithful for what he is given. And all Christians who are faithful will receive praise. That says it in verse five. Well what it says in Second Corinthians chapter eight and verse twelve is When you have been giving these gifts, whatever they are, the Lord is judging and saying, Hey, listen, I want to see, are you willing to use what you have for me? And Verse 12 says that the judging will be according to what a man has, not according to what he doesn't have. You see, never will I be responsible for repairing a car, for doing mechanics, because I'm not a mechanic. I will not be responsible for the rise and fall of Microsoft stock because I have nothing to do really with Microsoft other than using some of their uh, technical uh, work in in my computers. I just don't have that. So I'm not responsible for that. That's not an area. I'm not computer savvy uh, that way. But what I am responsible for are those in my neighborhood, in my family. Am I an encourager? Am I a teacher? Am I a reader and a learner and a lover of God and a displayer of that love? Okay, it's according to what a man has, not according to what he hasn't. This is the church of Philadelphia. So let's talk about the city of Philadelphia first. It was an agricultural city. It wasn't very big in uh, size compared to the other cities that are represented in these two chapters. But what it had, it did great in. Uh, the soil was mostly volcanic ash. And so there was great agricultural profit coming out of it. Philadelphia was well known for that. Small city, big return, big uh, harvest. This is kind of like the church in Philadelphia. They were a small church, but there is no condemnation whatsoever. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were not giving up. They were very big in perseverance in their faith. They would not lose the grip on the words of Christ and the promises of Christ. They were very, very loyal to it. And they were very, very deep in a strong honor of God's name and serving him and showing the glory of God. Now, let's take a look and let's read this. As uh, I look at Philadelphia here, this small, small city is one that was named, well, the king of Pergamum in 189. Had had this city named. It was named really after him. He was known as Philadelphia himself. He had a special bonding with his brother, a bonding of great love, admired by the people. And so the town was also named in this is Brotherly Love. Okay, that's what the term means. Uh, Phil Aldelfas, uh, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And within it there was a powerful, powerful uh, look at it, a reputation of it. It was used kind of as an outpost to spread the Greek culture. You would call it Hellenization. And what they were doing is kind of using it as an outpost, uh, a fort to spread the Greek language out into the area and move it, push it further east. So it was seen as important, though small. And the parallel here with the church is is amazing here. Small uh, entity and great, great importance. And verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, boy, listen to this, You're looking at something that is absolutely intimidating in its introduction. You are seeing that God is being presented. Jesus Christ is presented being God as the one who is a judge. He is true. He is holy. There is no fake about him. There is nothing worldly about him too. We see a powerful, powerful thing when it says this. He is holy. This is who he is. This is Jesus, sacredly separate from the world, from the temptations, from all the things that will pull you down. This is a very, very powerful thing when it says holy, it also is true. The word here in true means genuine. Alethanos means uh, there's no fakery about this you're looking at one who is genuine he is the actual judge he is the actual king of kings he is the lord of lords he is genuinely god Now that can be real intimidating when you see he is genuine and he's looking for things genuine are his servants true And this would be very scary, because obviously we've seen these other churches, they have gone through and have been found false. The genuine one sees fakery, sees uh, the plasticity of ritual uh, in there with no love for him, and he's exposed it. And even more so, it says this, adding to the authority, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. He is the one that is giving this introduction of him. The key of David, well, we know in the Gospels, Jesus is from the line of David, a position of authority. Now, we see that he obviously is holy. I mean, there's no argument with the fact that our Lord Jesus is holy. When we speak about the Godhead, we realize that what Isaiah had seen, the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6, they are circling the throne the throne of god and they are crying out holy 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 lord god almighty the holiness of the lord is indeed a fearful thing and a fascinating thing and a wonderful thing and something that we understand is the very essence of god he is holy and then we look here as we see jesus being god he is holy and he's looking and he's true and as we see philadelphia once again there's no condemnation But it says he has the keys of David. Now, Jesus is from the line of David. But what is this talking about when he has the key and says in here that no man can open if he does not allow it and no man can shut when he shuts it? Well, I'll take you back to a reference in Isaiah chapter 22. And there's a good historical reference here and it sounds real familiar. Listen to this. In a section in Isaiah, it's the judgment on one rebellious group and the judgment's going to come down on them and it says this in verse 20 eliakim is pointed out as being one of honor over the house over those unjudged then it shall be in that day that i will call my servant eliakim the son of hilkiah i will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt i will commit your responsibility Into his hand he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. And what it's talking about right here, look at the passage when it talks about the key, the key is, the, is is very, very important here. The Shebna is the name of the arrogant rebellion one. It says that Eliakim is now going to be an official. God will put in responsibility over there. And when he says this, that key was one where it gave him access to the treasury. If Eliakim opened it, no one could close it. If Eliakim would close it with that key, no one but no one had the right to open it. Eliakim could go in and he could take from the funds, disperse them how he felt. He was showing authority over there and giving out, if you want to call it treasured blessings, giving out the treasury as he would. Well, this is the tie to what we're reading in Revelation when it says that this is the one who has the key David, here you can look back and say that it, it's telling you that Jesus has the authority here to be able to take the treasures of heaven and dispense them however He wants. No one else can do that. No one can keep Him from doing that. No one can force Him to do it. It is totally His. And so you're thinking, Wow, He can withhold blessing, and we've seen Him do that here in the other in the other churches, but He's not doing it here with Philadelphia. There's a wonderful, wonderful truth here as he's blessing them. This Holy One is giving a blessing of greatness to them. And when he does that, he has that key of blessing once again. This little church has just been faithful. He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. You have a little strength. That doesn't say that he, they are little, the strength is little. It's saying this, you are little, but you have strength. You've kept my word, not denied my name. They are doing this. They're persevering in what they have. Jesus says, I know your works to all of the churches. And this one here, he's saying, I know your works. And they're not tensing up in fear because of this. They are surprised in the great joy. You know, there's times when the teacher would point had pointed you out for something you had done and you were totally unexpecting it and you were being praised in front of others. And it was such a wonderful and surprising feeling. No, you know, no doubt it's happening here with Philadelphia. I set before you an open door. No one can shut it. They had an open door. Now, whenever we see that, I'm thinking of uh, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. It says that while praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, it's talking about evangelism. And that's talking about the horizon of evangelism that is there. Open the door because you've been faithful in those things within. There's so much that you can be blessed in going outside too. Here it is, okay? And when he says this open door, think about it. Philadelphia, the city was known as an evangelistic outreach of Hellenization, of spreading the Greek culture and the church. Well, you're doing the same thing in a sense. You are a key point, a fort, of evangelizing, but not Hellenization of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God here too. And when he does this, this is open here. There's an open door right then, right there. The church, can, all they have to do is just walk through that door, all right? Now, in there, no one can shut it. When this happens, this is a powerful, powerful truth that whenever we see that we are committed to a ministry and the lord has given us an ability and our talents as we're taught that the christian has uh special gifts you know maybe there are various gifts different ones have a gift of leadership someone has a gift of teaching someone has a gift of hospitality but in all those things you use those gifts to serve the lord those open doors and you know something as you're using those there is no one on earth that can stop you with the evangelistic opportunity that you have and that's the same thing here if we look to God, the author and finisher of our faith, we see what he does, what he serves, how he uh, can give us and how he can show us service there, we can find a great opportunity of blessing here. You have a little strength. That is talking about this. I mean, just think about it. Uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where we live, is known for its atomic energy, nuclear energy it has over here. And you think about The uranium doesn't have to have much that can be devastating or also ultimately powerful. Those different plutonium, the different radioactive materials that have so much going in just a little amount, too. Well, you think about it. This is kind of the atomic church here. Philadelphia doesn't seem like much, but what a power here. Great strength. Great strength. Uh, This, why does it come? Because they're reliable. Because you can depend upon Philadelphia. They're not going to back down from standing for the Lord. Whatever they did, we don't know exactly, specifically what they did. But they were known for this as well. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. Hey, listen. You don't have to go through specifics. They're generally known. You know, you can say, you look over across the town and you'll see somebody of a reputation. They've done something so much that they're just known by that. They're an encourager. Or they're a kind person. And somebody says, well, tell me, give me a specific. And you say, well, it's kind of hard to just give you one. They're just always kind. Well, that's what Philadelphia is like. They just have a reputation of keeping the word, of just being faithful. And you can depend upon them. If you went to this small church, you're going to get the truth of the gospel and powerful uh, just followers of Christ here too. They're keeping the word Not denying his name, perhaps there was a situation when they were challenged to deny his name and they did not because it's brought out here in this. And that's so powerful too. You've done that. You've been there in the face of the challenge. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I'll make them come and worship before your feet. Synagogue of Satan. There were those who were by heritage, of the Jewish faith, who were actively persecuting there. They weren't following Messiah. They were following the fact of uh, wanting to persecute these followers of Yahweh. They didn't care about uh, the Lord. They cared about persecution. They are extremely harshly called, labeled by Jesus, the synagogue of Satan. They say they're Jews and they are not, but they lie. They had no spiritual strength. They are just by name only, by heritage only. So Jesus, understand this. He's not speaking against the entire race. He's saying those in there that are doing this, they are saying they're Jews and they're not. They are persecuting and they are going under the guise of being religious leaders. I'll make them come and worship before your feet. Jesus says this, you'll win in the end. You will win. You will be victorious. Jesus is going to give victory. You will be honored. They will have uh, recognized your authority. They will be submissive to your authority because you are submissive to my authority, says Jesus. Uh, They would know this. They would recognize. And as we see in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, many will come to salvation. And it's a powerful, powerful promise. And they will know that I have loved you. Isn't that the most important? To know that. They were here saying, God could not care about you. You have no blessing from God. Well, they will know. They will know on this. I will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world. And that can be what we might see as the great tribulation. In there, we see in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, the Christian is kept from wrath that uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, this could very well mean that. Because you've been faithful, you'll be kept from the the messianic uh, prophecy of the great tribulation. That could be to test those who dwell on the earth. Well, you're going to see this, those who would be in the tribulation. They would be those whose names are not written in the book of life. This is directly talking about those who would be during the tribulation time who are unsaved, dwelling on the earth, the unbelievers that will be undergoing God's judgment. I'm keeping you from the hour of trial Uh, in that. It's telling you that. What a great promise. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast. Hold strong to what you have. Uh, this is a very, very powerful phrase. When we see this, I'm con- coming very, very suddenly. That's what it's talking about. I am coming. And so when I come, it will be without warning. We know that Christ will come as a thief in the night. He's coming quickly in there. So hold fast. Stay strong in this. That no one can take your crown. Don't lose your testimony in one foolish moment. You have so much here. Don't walk away from it. Don't be tempted. Stay strong. Overcome, as we've seen so many times in here. And in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, to he who overcomes, I will grant them to sit down with me on the throne. Just staying there, powerful. Don't take the crown on there. All right. The crown, as it was given to the elders in the opening chapters of Revelation they will then cast it back. But it's a, it's a wonder. It's a great, glorious, and an honorable thing to be given the crown by the Lord. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The pillar, a pillar in the temple. Well, what would that be? Well, you'd know a pillar to hold up. Uh, it's, it's not an ornamentation. It's holding up the building. It's strong, it's reliable. I remember going into a football stadium and the pillars that were surrounding as we were walking through the different hallways to find our seat, these massive pillars of strength holding them up. That is what the believers are equated to there. They were staying there. And you think about it, when you see the ruins, when you go over to Greece and other places, and what do you see remaining of the building? The pillars, well, that's talking about this. I'm going to give you strength. Strength to stand in trial. He shall go out no more. All right. And what they, you know, when you think about the history, Philadelphia did have earthquakes. As a matter of fact, this whole region had earthquakes too. And when people would undergo those, it's like whenever I lived in Central California in my early uh, ministry. And the first thing that would happen was ever in Hollister, California, was where I was from. And when there would be an earthquake, you got out of the building. I was in a supermarket and there was an earthquake coming, and people would sprint outside to the parking lot to get away from the glass or any falling cans from the shelves, anything like that. You're going out. Well, you don't have to go out anymore. There won't be those persecutions, and the people would think about the earthquakes. I will write on him the name of my God. I will write on him my new name. So we're talking about. The It's saying, I belong to God. I belong to God, and it is a personal... I will write on him the name of my God, my new name. And what you would have in those days is I went over to the Holy Land. I saw this a couple of times on some pillars. Wording was etched into there on the pillars. Well, these ones are pillars and their names will be engraved. What would the names be? The names that honor God, the name of God would be on here. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we look at this and we're encouraged. A small church with a big return, a small church with a huge opportunity, a small church that wouldn't give up. Hey, that could be like you and me today. We don't have to be celebrities. We don't have to have fame or fortune, but we can be faithful to the Lord. Luke 14, 14 says, and you serve and maybe nobody returns any thanks to you, but the Lord knows and he blesses. And that's one of the things that we can see in Philadelphia. A great commendation here in a wonderful, wonderful story to a church called Philadelphia. Many things that we can be encouraged by as we see this truth. Thanks. We'll talk some more. We're going to go to our next church as we continue through Revelation. We're going to the Church of Laodicea next. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, Zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X U L. -L 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 O-N.org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.